Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. Check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. Kenetrico Enrique, Kenny. That's good a good answer you. there, Paul. Good to see I, you. I appreciate that, Paul. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, it's going to be fun. Would you be so kind? Would you introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, as you so eloquently put it, my real first name is Kenetrico, K-E-N-E-C-H-U-K-W. It means thank God. That is a tribe in Nigeria, the Igbo tribe, I-G-B-O. Most people call me Kenny. Um, I've always been into things related to helping people solve problems with how they relate to each other. My work now with my company, KE Consulting, centers on leadership development. In essence, what we do is we take whatever your unique barrel of skills and talents are and use those to help you form better relationships with people around you and to be a more effective leader in your personal life, whether that's as a better family member, better partner, or just in the context of business and career. How can I do a better job of managing people around me? How can I do a better job of advocating for myself on the job? So that's much of what I do. It's a little short introduction, yes. A battle of skills. Yeah, barrel skills and such, yeah. Bucket of skills. Yeah. Real battle. Some people like barrels, others like buckets. Depends. I don't on know. It's good. Like I like that. I, mean, yeah. I, th- I think I like thinking of um, talent. Uh, I ripped this off from somebody a long time ago, and I can't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. The talent stack, the skill stack, the talent stack. It's like uh, American pancakes. So you've got all oh. these pancakes lining up, big pile of them, covered okay. in gloopy sauce. And each okay. one is your individual talent. And you add them all together, and that's exactly what makes you unique. So... Your combination and your thickness on your mm-hmm. your selection of skills is exactly why you are very, very special. True. That's actually a nice analogy of how to put it. And the funny thing is, just like a stack of pancakes, at any given time, as long as you recognize the stack of talent is there, you can adjust it in any way. Maybe I want to take this talent apart by, i.e., not spending as much time on it, and I want to focus on this talent instead. So there's all sorts of things you can do with that stack of talents just like pancakes which i happen to like so yes i'm i've got this picture of a bucket of pancakes now no <laughs> hang on we were a bucket of skills right or is it a talent of pancakes or a stack of i, I started with the the barrel of skills and then you you, you countered buckets so yeah, okay all right yeah, all right, yeah we're, we're good yeah. i more have a problem water. with food analogies it's, it's getting close to dinner time here in the uk uh-huh. so I'm, I'm getting hungry you know uh-huh. it'll do that <laughs> what would you say then as a leadership expert, as a guru, as a practitioner in the art and the sport of uh, personal individual development, what would you advise somebody who's new to the game to do? First thing I would say is know what your goals are, because not every person in some sort of leadership context has the same goal. Maybe if you're heading up a team, a sports team, like, for example, I play a lot of football. So the QB is usually the leader of the group there. Not every team is the same. 
do I want to focus on how we can start scoring more points? Do I want to focus on limiting some of the inner uh, internal squabbles that come from who's playing as much? That's uh, one example. Know your goals in the context of business. Maybe it's actually growing the business. Maybe like many people, when you get into your teens and 20s, it's deciding, well, what kind of business do I want to go into? How can you be an effective leader if you don't even know where you want to go? So the first thing I would say is figuring out what your goals are in that leadership space and then trying to figure out what the best style of leadership is for you going forward. Some people are more authoritative. Unfortunately, those don't always work. Depends on the particular context. Others are more collaborative in the sense of like, hey, I want to do whatever I can to build up other people around me and make it so that they value my presence. And in turn, I'll get a lot of respect and value from them in return. So I'd say that definitely the first thing is decide where you want to go, what sort of goals you're trying to accomplish. I think that applies situationally. Applies organizationally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got I think the two angles there. If you're going into a an organization uh, like many in the last few years, where growth is paramount, don't give a damn how much you spend. Just make it happen. Go off and you can take a hundred million dollars and pee it up against the wall. As far as we concerned, as long as you damn well grow, or like and that's venture cap, venture businesses, right? Mm-hmm. You've got, for example, um, traditional companies where we all try to make money, right? or mm-hmm. private equity back stuff where it's profitability. EBITDA. I want to make I want to see EBIT. I want to see the contribution to profit. That's that's more important. Uh-huh. Or is there a given management circumstance that you've got to work in? Is there is it a merger? Is it, is it is a, which division? So understanding what the organizational objectives are. And then the situation you find yourself in, is it is it a startup, in which case it is probably growth? Is it a startup of a family unit that you're working in, in which case it's probably profitability? Is it a turnaround? Is the place a disaster? In which case, you have to come in as your the knight on the back of yeah. the horse and fix everything. Is it a restoration? Is it a scale up? So those angles, I think, pull it, you got to you got to play to the position you find yourself in. So not only do you have your personal goals, but you get the organizational and the, the situational one. Very true. And funny enough that you mentioned that. I think it's a good segue. I would actually highly recommend some of Paul's products if you go to his website, Leadership. I'm actually taking one of his courses right now. So I'm, like I said, I'm always one to throw out assists there, like Jason Kidd. So I'll take it. Definitely, Practical yeah. Practical Leadership Academy, ladies and gentlemen. I don't, I don't normally plug it in the middle of the things, but do please visit. There's an advert yeah. before and afterwards. I tack them on. And, uh, but yeah. no, that's brilliant. Thank you. I appreciate exactly. it. I didn't mention that because what you say is so true. Because it, it's so different. Like, let's say you were coming in, you were now going to be the leader of GE. This is a decades-old company that's already on top, and they've got billions of dollars under their control. The style of leadership that you would need there would be much different than say, hey, you know, I want to start an e-commerce company that ships furniture from China to Americans. Like, it's a it's a whole different thing. Like, the kind of work you have to do, and what sort of insight and research is necessary to keep things afloat and just get things going. So you make a very good point about leadership not being uniform across all contexts. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's one of the harder things, especially if you're new to the game and you're still trying to find out, you're still trying to reconcile yourself with, oh, I'm the boss. That means I'm important. 
<laughs> me, 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 me. I know you're not important. Nobody gives a damn about you and your mom. They're the only people exactly. who think it's important. Yeah. No, I really agree with you there, Paulo, because I found that most of the time, the people who adopt the leader as first among everyone, they tend to be the leaders that people dislike. Like no mm. one wants to be talked down to. Even if you're talking to a child, like a child's not going to take a certain sort of authoritative voice at them like no one wants to be talked at no one wants to be treated as though they're less than and a lot of times a lot of people get this misconception that leaders mean that oh well i'm in the position where i tell everyone what to do and i'm going to be glorified well no like ironically you find throughout history the best mm -hmm. leaders have been people who exalt themselves excuse me not themselves exalt others above themselves and put the mission first before their own self-aggrandizement so but power power yeah. having power over mere mortals as the new first line manager mm -hmm. you know, that's yeah, a thing. drives people insane oh. that, it does it yeah. does um there was a, a lovely chap who said that if you're making decisions from a position of ego then you are almost undoubtedly making bad decisions you can use ego as strength but personal strength you can use it to get up and do things you can use it to drive you but if you use it as a decision-making tool it's a decidedly unwise tool to be sure yeah. i I've, I've got personal experience with that as well as knowing and studying how other people have handled being in positions of power and influence and letting their ego and willingness to either maintain some sort of veneer or just to exercise authority over people and that just drives the whole thing down in the wrong direction it's it can be mean hmm. right so know your goals yep. know your goals how how do you simply find out what those are all right i'll give you a bit of controversial advice but i know Love it's 100 percent it. true there's i would say definitely knowing christ plays a huge role in that because if this is the the god that created the entire universe mm -hmm. and He's had a plan from you from the beginning. He would be the best source of finding out, well, what was I made to do? What were some of my goals? And just spending time alone, learning the word, developing your own relationship with Christ will help with that. Beyond that, taking time to do introspection on your own. That's something you don't you, you can do by yourself to say, hey, what are some of the things that are really important to me value-wise? What are some of the things that when I was younger, I want to see come to pass? And this can give you an idea of how to know what sort of goals, what sort of positions you want to find yourself in. Because if you can start out by just getting, hey, like, okay, I want to take a trip to one state in America. Well, where? You want to go somewhere hot? You want to go somewhere cold? You want to go north, west, east, south? You get an idea. So, okay, I want to take a trip to Chicago. Now you've got a baseline there. You, well, are you going to take a bus? You're going to fly? You're going to drive? So once you start thinking about your goals and who you are and your values, it starts to create a defined path. And that's one way you can really do a good job of figuring out what sort of goals you want to pursue. Keep talking. I try. I can always, yeah. I would definitely say that and it's not really a streamlined 
process linear process either. I think a lot of times in school, I'll say high school, college, people have this mindset that, okay, well, I'm on the plan. I'll go to school. And while I'm in school, I'll learn how to get a good job and I'll learn what I want to do. It's like, well, you find that for one, lots of people, their degrees don't actually translate to what they end up doing 10 years down the road, which is laughable. I, I know that myself. And you just, you're an evolving person, especially through your mid twenties or so, which is, and this will be like a little sidebar, which is why it's always dangerous to get married before like your mid twenties, because who you are at say like 20 is probably going to be different who you are at 27 and just getting to know yourself, putting yourself into different experiences are going to encourage you to learn more about yourself, what you care about most, what the people around you that you care about, care about most. And these are all things that can color your perception of what's a good outcome for you, how you can achieve that outcome, and what's most likely to bring you life fulfillment and contentment going forward. And as you place yourself in these fields that are most likely to jive with who you are, you're much more likely to figure out what goals matter most to you and do a better job accomplishing those goals and becoming the kind of person who is a good, effective leader. So all these things work. Introspection helps there. Knowing Christ. Mm -hmm. To know your goals. Yeah. Finding the greater purpose, finding the higher power. Yes. Introspection, knowing thyself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Physician, heal thyself. Knowing that oh, yeah. leader, leader, lead thyself yeah. um, before you can think of leading others. And I think if you are struggling, if anyone struggles with it in a personal relationship or some something they're trying to do with somebody else, the first place you need to look is inside. Yes. Because normally the first, the, the root cause of most problems is you, yes. not them. Exactly. You are screwing up. You are the ass. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. If you are surrounded by assholes, hmm, look at the mirror, <laughs> sweetheart. You know, the fact that it's not a linear journey. Um, mm -hmm. And you're talking about 20 versus 27. Mm -hmm. There's a magic number 33, which you may have heard of if you've done your Bible studies and you're thinking around the world. 33 was the age at which Christ was crucified. 33 mm -hmm. is the, the levels of uh, masonry. As in Freemasonry. Yeah. Okay, that's a good right. fact to learn that today. 33 is the number of vertebrae we have in the human body. Uh, 33 is also seems to be the age at which your brain finally, neurologically, matures. And I swear that at about the age of 33, I got smarter because stuff just went click in my head. And I went, ah, that's what it's about. That, that really makes a lot of sense, Paul. I, I didn't know that part about the um, age of mental maturity. That makes sense. The vertebrae thing. It's magic yeah. number. It's magic. Great yeah. coincidence slash non-coincidence there. That's No, it really makes a lot of sense. If you study a lot of histories, I know in the Bible as well, there are a number of prominent characters that came to age in their early 30s. Like David, he assumed the kingship, I think it was at age 30. Um, there's a few others, Joseph, once he mm -hmm. got out of prison. So that's a really good 
It's an interesting thing, yeah. isn't it? I also changed and, my jersey number to 33. Well, there you go. go. <laughs> uh huh. And if you think about it, I mean, there's, you can go back to the Bible stories there. You really, we don't really hear much about what the big man himself did between being born, wandering around and learning as a little boy, and then, mm-hmm. boop, up he pops again, aged about 30 something mm-hmm. with his ministry, ready to rock and roll. So it took him a while to mature. That maturity thing is interesting. That's a good point. No, it makes sense. And it's definitely, I think more people heard that as you say it, it gives hope because there's all sorts of people in their 20s and teens who are like, well, what do I do with my life? And is there something wrong with me not knowing that what I want to do is like, well, if we're all still growing and the age of mental maturity is actually 33, then that actually gives you some explanation as to why you have that uncertainty as well as some consolation so you don't get panicked and start making foolish decisions. No. There is a slight bugger with the whole thing in that up until not very long ago, the average age of death was like 35. So congratulations, you're mentally mature. Good night. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> I'm glad about the medical advancements that have pushed that way forward. Oh, I so. think it's down to basically s- sanitation, not not mm-hmm. not crapping in your garden. That's more Absolutely. or less it. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. So introspection, though, knowing yourself mm-hmm. before you can possibly begin to know other people, looking in yourself mm-hmm. and trying to understand where where you're going. There is an argument, though, that says that goals are counterproductive and the thing that you want to be working on are the systems to get you there. That's actually a very good point. I get. I actually understand whoever said that, why they said that, because a lot of times either you pick the wrong goals or you're focused too much on said goal and not about the micro steps that are going to let you accomplish them. The system thing is actually perfect. That's... um. That is probably the chief reason why people don't accomplish a lot of goals or they end up unhappy. It's just like, well, I want to drop 10 pounds. January 1st rolls around. It's like, by February 1st, I'm going to be 10 pounds lighter. It's like, okay, well, how are we going to do that? Are you going to starve yourself? Are you going to go on one of those yo-yo diets? The way that people tend to create lasting change in their lives is to create systems that curtail a lot of the behaviors and the influx of different stimuli that are going to work against achieving that goal. For example, let's lose. Uh, let's use the ten-pound example. You can do things like create systems where, all right, I know I go to work. Well, let's say it's a remote worker who's fortunate in that way. I have to sign on to my computer at nine a.m. I am going to set out my workout clothes at night every day. So as soon as I get up and get ready, let's say they get up like 6.30 and get ready, I'm going to have my clothes staring at me. And it's going to make it that much harder for me to not either go outside and exercise or go to the gym. That's one system you can set up. And when I go shopping every week, I'm going to decide, hmm, am I going to continue to buy ice cream and pizza? Or am I going to start cutting out a lot of these non-fibrous carbs most of the time that I'm not working out? So I'll start loading up on chicken, beef, fish, eggs, bacon. Bacon is always nice, exactly. And I will stop buying as much candy and ice cream. That's another system. If you can't, if it's not in the house to eat, you're not going to eat it. 
that works too. Accountability system. That's another way you can do a system like, hey, I've got this friend who's into fitness. He plays sports. And I'm going to say, hey, every other week, I want you to ask me how many times I exercise and how many times I ate this sort of food that I'm not supposed to be eating. Like you don't want to, that's another sidebar. You don't want to eliminate foods completely because that will just mentally, that'll screw you up. But you want to get it yourself to a place where most of the time you're eating the right foods that are going to go with your goals. And even that can be in flux depending on what your goals are. But yes, you have this accountability system where this friend will check on you a couple of times a month to ensure that you're doing what needs to be done. So I completely agree with the systems part because a lot of people think they're going to will themselves to accomplishing the goal or right when you first put a goal out there, there's always this jolt of energy inside you. It's universal. You're really excited. It's like, yeah, I'm going to accomplish this. And that's how people feel for the first day or so. But your emotions are capricious. They're going to change from time to time, especially given the circumstance. So you want something that's more solidified and rock that's going to encourage you along the goal. And that's where having good systems comes in so that even when you're not feeling like you got to do something for your goal, that it's going to be harder for you to not do that thing because you have systems in place to act as guardrails. Like in a bowling alley, you have those guardrails for the terrible bowlers who <laughs> just throw the ball in the gutter <laughs> every other roll. <laughs> That's what systems do for you. They act I'll like even, that guardrail. So I'll leave dents in the, in the thing. I tell you, my kids are better. My kids are nine, nine and 11. They, they're better oh. bowlers than I am. <laughs> the, the, the nature of the systems, I think, and habit, you're talking about habit here. You're trying to create mm -hmm. habits or yeah. systems that lead to habits. I think there's finite in that if you try and add to what you do, you're kind of destined for failure. Mm -hmm. I think you can replace. Yes. The same as in persuasion. I, mm -hmm. can't, I can't ask you to stop doing something. I can't give you something else to do. Mm -hmm. I can't easily say, well, I'm going to add a task into my day. I can replace, oh, I don't know. I can replace having a bacon sandwich for breakfast by going down the gym. Mm -hmm. now, that's the thing I'm going to do. And I'll have one when I come home yeah. on the way back or something like that. You know, so you can yes. replace, you can, you can swap things and swap, swap them out. I think no, it's understanding that as well. It's, it's quite a good way of dealing with the people around you. Yeah, that's a really good point, Paul, because we only have a limited amount of cognitive resources. So... Mm -hmm. Small brain. Yeah. To go back to your stacking example, you can only stack so much. It's much more effective to get rid of some of these pancakes rather than keep adding more of these pancakes. And that's where I help knowing where your goals comes in. It's like, all right, what's really important to me? What needs to be done? And what are some of the things I'm doing now that I can get rid of and replace the things I want? Like I actually, myself, I spent some time in the hospital. That's a whole nother long story back in 2018. And one of the things I did while I was laying there, just thinking is like, you know what? I need to think about what needs to be done and what I need to get rid of and what sort of people I need to get rid of as well. What things are less important to me and just get an idea of like what's most important will 
help with that process? Like, all right, like, do I really need to be going to these meetings that I'm kind of just showing FaceTime at and then not, I don't really care what happens? No, I need to do this. Do I need to be participating in this activity that I kind of sort of don't care about? No, get rid of, get rid of. Just like uh, I can't remember Bruce Lee's quote about, um, I can paraphrase it, about something about getting rid of the essential, the unessential, chopping things away so you can be really good at things that matter most. So I think your point about not adding too much makes so much sense, Paul. The, the goal thing, I think people might confuse goal as being an objective. So you've got, you know, organizations have smart objectives, right? Mm -hmm. so, so it's, uh, oh, come on. So it's simple, measurable, achievable, realistic, or re uh, relevant and time bound. You know, that's an objective. We want to measure something with, or at least observe something observable. Mm -hmm. And I think goals in the context of knowing thyself, maybe if you think, uh, if you talk, if you read something about from Napoleon Hill, you know, Think and Grow Rich or the um, interview with the devil, fascinating stuff. And he talks a lot about definiteness of purpose. So it's yeah. not necessarily, I want to lose 10, 20 pounds, but my purpose, my definite purpose is to live healthily. Mm -hmm. That's my goal is to live healthily. And to achieve that, I will set things in motion and follow the following systems. Mm -hmm. Is that a flavor of this? Or am I missing? No, that makes a lot of sense. Funny enough, you mentioned Hill, you wrote one of our classic books, Thinking Real Rich. So he had a lot of good content. And that makes sense, though, because it's the better that you get a hand of what's important, what you want to do, what needs to be done, the better you can kind of avoid some of the things that whatever, not even the real devil, but other devils in your life that might steal your time and energy or trying to get you to do. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a good idea. He, he also talks about the people who don't do that as being drifters. Oh, Drifting yes. through life. We all drift from time to time, but mm -hmm. unless we have this definiteness of purpose. Exactly. And that's where that introspection and knowing yourself really help because it kind of keeps you going in the right direction. And even and even a more tragic sense when you lose people, when people pass away, or heck, when you even separate yourself from people, that kind of jokes you away. It's like, hey, you know, things change. Change will always be a constant. And I need to remember that this life is not permanent. It can change at any given time. And that sort of thing, reminding yourself periodically, because you tend to forget it, you just get caught in the uh, mundane nature of daily life. You forget that things are open to change at any time. These kind of events remind you, like, okay, I'm not immortal. At least I don't know that yet. And I need to remember that I need to have things that are keeping me moving along in the ways I want to go rather than be a drifter. So really good point there, Paul. Memento mori is the... So the slave standing, holding the laurels behind the champion, coming back from the battles in Rome, would, would whisper in the ears of the emperor, Memento Mori, remember thou art mortal. Remember oh, yes, I've heard that die. anecdote before. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're going, yes, you are mortal. You are then going to die. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You sound like a very well-read person. What are you reading right now? What are you listening to? What can you well, inspire us with? I would say thank you for the compliment. I do read a lot. Let's see. I haven't read any... Tom Clancy, come on, tell me it's Tom Clancy. Nah, I've never really been into fiction that much. I think the last 
there was a it was a book on some Russian war I read. I don't remember the name of it. It was two years ago. But the last dedicated fiction reading I did was The Hunger Games. And this is like 10 years ago. One of my friends, Mike, turned me on to it. I read the whole trilogy when it came out. I was like, whoa. Not the crappy movie that came out in recent years. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the books are excellent. What else do I read? Um, uh, the last couple of books I read were um, The Millionaire Minds. And the millionaire next door. I Tom. love the millionaire next door. My father-in-law gave me that when I married my okay. my wife. He said, "Here, read that. <laughs> Keep your okay, marriage dad. together." Yes, it's a great <laughs> book, and wow. I've read it like a handful of times because yeah. it's it's useful to just remind yourself of what's in there in terms of like, okay, this is what it says about how a lot of millionaires find their careers and businesses, how they handle common financial issues. So I'm a big fan of those books. Uh, I would definitely read the Bible regularly. Different scriptures popping out of my head. There's some blogs I read. There's one, the guy's name is, first name Robert. Can't remember his last name. Living Stingy is the title of the blog. And I read that periodically. In essence, it's a he's a patent attorney. He started out writing a blog on how he saves money on different things. And then over the years, this morphed into his ruminations on life. Uh, some politics, some of the mistakes people make, uh, business. It's a fascinating read. The guy is a voluminous writer and he's got hundreds of articles. I'm at least a year behind on what, what he's read. I think the last thing I wrote, I read, I read from him it was in 2021 or so. Although I read it recently, but. I like to read them as like they're there and he's got a huge library of content there. So that's one thing I read. I listen to a lot of Andrew Womack. That's a Christian minister, awmi.net. Shout him him out. There's another minister I listen to some of his content. He focuses a lot on relationships and how people relate to each other. His name is Kingsley Okonkwo. He's in Nigeria. Who else? There's probably some other things I, I can't think of right now, but I, you know, I like to give you some of those links. I'll put them into the notes of the podcast. Definitely. We'll, okay. we'll, share, we'll share those links out with people as well. Okay. I'll, uh, I will mark those and remember those. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is I do my own writing as well, like for some of my articles. So I do research. I'm like, mm, what am I thinking about writing about today? So actually, within the next couple of days, I'm going to finish an article that I'm going to put out probably we're recording this in early to mid-February. I'm going to put out an article the week of Valentine's Day on different things on how people can deal with loss around Valentine's Day. I'm going to do a little personal introspection and throw that in there. So I've I've always read a lot of things related to how people relate to each other and Mm -hmm. solving issues in that area. Yeah. Well, uh, com. Yes. Slash blog has all your articles. We'll have a link to that as well. Yeah, that's um my my company website. And then it links to my personal blog as well. It's just tapptheglass.com. And I've got hundreds of articles on a bunch. Wow. Fabulous name, just uh, tap the glass. I love it. Yeah. How the name came about was it was based on pet care and poker. So in pet care, they say if you have fish, you're not supposed to tap the glass because it's very disturbing to their ears. And in poker, there's a term called fish, which are bad players, people who don't really understand the theory and strategy behind the game. 
And because there's a lot of luck involved in individual poker hands, there are going to be many times where you lose to someone who played their hand poorly. And rather than get upset at them and shout at them and like, well, how could you play this way? Why do you, why do you do that? You're not supposed to do that because it encourages them to not only know the mistakes, but to improve on their mistakes. And that's actually going to make it harder for you to win in the long run. So you're not, you're not supposed to let fish know they're being fish and how the just tap the glass name came up. But it was like, it was like a play on just investigating your environment and be willing to engage in things that you're not necessarily supposed to do if they're beneficial to you. So that's how that, that blog game name came about. And I've got a bunch of work there. So if you, the Kenny Eric, K-E-N-E-E-R-I-K-E.com links both to the, the articles I'm posting on my company website and links to some of the reader favorites for my personal blog. What are you helping people with? What are you working on? Well, a couple of things. So I have a particular, especially in neurodiversity. In essence, these are folks who have different cognitive challenges, whether that's ADHD, Asperger's, autism, anything on the spectrum. And I have a number of clients that I help with both being able to identify some of their talents and abilities and to use them in a way that can maximize what they have available to them, as well as get rid of some of the hindrances that are preventing them from fully displaying what they can do. Because the neurodiverse community is very underserved. So I always felt a particular touch to help folks in that area. So I do a lot of work there. That's um, the people check out my company page. You can see some of the work we offer. And I'm actually releasing an audio book. It's, I've already finished it. But it's just, I'm going through the machinations of having the distributors put it out on different uh, websites. And that book is going to be based on my first book, No Doesn't Always Mean No. Of course, the title like that needed a subtitle. Strategies for Influencing Behavior and Winning Cooperation. And that was a nod to one of Dale Carnegie's famous books, which is one of my favorites. Essentially, the book is all about understanding how to grow strong relationships with people around you and how to create plans and actions that encourage people to support what you want to do, as well as create stronger bonds between people. That book came out about 10 years ago. And I had always had it in mind to create an audio version of the book, but I had just forgotten about it. it things just slipped through the cracks when you're living life and doing things. And so in November, someone reached out to me. He's like, hey, you know, I'm interested in the book, but you don't have it in audio. I was like, oh, that's right. I meant two years ago, create an audio version of it. So I was like, let me do that now. So in December, I did the work of creating the audio book and listened to someone to narrate it. So it's been finished. It's, I'm putting it out there. Probably be widely available, I'm going to say in March, conservatively. Maybe before then, probably March. So that's one thing I'm working on, the audio book, based on the, the first book. And down the line, I'll have another book coming out on the seven elements that create strong bonds between people. I haven't come up with a title for it yet. That'll come to me eventually. And there's going to be a section in there on how singles find spouses that feel like they're made just for them. So really going big game hunting there. That's some of the stuff I'm working on. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Mm -hmm. What would you like to thank the younger Kinetrical for doing? Good attempt at the name. I like that. 
That's bold. Ironically, that's that's something I would mention, being willing to experiment. Because there were definitely times, I had my own insecurities, but there was always an element of me that was willing to experiment and try new things. That's how you learn. I, like, For example, I play a lot of football now. I used to be afraid to play football until like sixth grade. And I'll shout out to my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Napadano, if somehow he ever gets a hold of this. He used to have a program for the sixth grade boys, like I think once a week, we played different sports before school. And eventually we played football. I was like, oh, oh this is actually pretty fun. So I tried that. I got into it. I've just been into it for in some capacity since then. I would definitely say being willing to do things that might that push my comfort zone. That's another thing in terms of the experimentation thing. So it's not like, well, conventional wisdom says you've got to do this and this is how you're supposed to do it. It's like, wait a minute. And why? Just because people have always done it that way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. You experiment, you try new things. I've had different issues with different companies when I like doing different work. If they don't treat you the right way, I had a, a story related to a eBay thing I post on my website. Um, in essence, eBay mistreated me in a way and rather than just took it, take it, I reached out to the New York Times and had them write a piece about it. So that got a lot of wheels moving. Just hmm. being willing to, ex- yeah, be willing to experiment. Maybe I should tell that story. You have time to tell the story? I can tell the story. Well, tell the story. What the hell? Come on. Okay. So, I used to manufacture and import commercial kitchen equipment, gymnastics equipment, hydroponics equipment, and I regularly sell my stuff on eBay. It's better than Amazon for certain purposes, sometimes Craigslist too. And anyone who's familiar with how the eBay process works, when there's a dispute between buyers and sellers, eBay is very buyer-centric. They will tend to land on their side even when you have a mountain of evidence on the seller side saying what the seller is saying is true. There's a few reasons to do that just because there's many more buyers and sellers. So I get that from a business perspective. Anyhow, I sold this mini donut machine, which at the time was one of my more popular items that was being sold. I sold it to this lady. She claimed that the machine didn't work. Now, I need to give you some background on this. Um, the machine required a very specific electrical environment to work. It's not the kind of thing you can plug in at your house and it work. You need to have a commercial ampere outlet there with enough amps to make it work. And I, I would display this boldly on my links on my um my uh my eBay ads is like you need to have XYZ for this machine to work correctly. Cause I knew this is people gonna people were gonna buy and not gonna understand that well, oh well I plugged it in. Why doesn't it work? It was because you don't have enough electricity feeding the machine, so it's not gonna work. Anyhow, lady bought the machine, said it didn't work, uh filed the claim eBay sided with her beside the fact that I actually sent the video to eBay showing the machine working before it was shipped to her. Anyhow, so they were set to give her her money back, which is like around $1,500. It's an expensive machine and it's like 80 pounds. So it costs a lot to ship too. Uh, I filed an appeal knowing it wouldn't go anywhere because eBay is going to appeal against itself. No, they're just going to side with the buyers. Like, all right, I'm not going to sit here and take this loss. So I reached out to... Uh, the commas, his name was The Haggler. I don't know if you're familiar with the New York Times. Uh, he used to run columns there. It was like a, a consumer affairs reporter. I think every week on the Sunday Business Times, his column would appear. It was one of my favorite columns to read because there's always fascinating stories. Anyhow, so I write this guy a pitch. It's like, hey, I got this story to tell that you haven't told in your, your Haggler columns before. It's like, hmm, 
interesting. So I gave him the story. He runs it. It's months down the road. He runs the story. And then I'm um then I remember the next morning, eBay executives are calling my phone. Like, hey, hey, we want to talk, want to talk. I was like, oh, hey, you guys want to talk now that I've told the whole story. And even at, yeah, even within that article, he did some research on me and he found my book and the title of the book. He mentioned it there. I never mentioned the book to him, which I was flattered to him. I was like, oh wow, he mentioned the copy, the name of my book in the article. So I got my money back eventually and I got some nice press and I have this nice pelt on my wall to show all right, my clients, like, this is how you can attack XYZ asymmetrical warfare without actually using guns. So it was a nice coup for me. So that's a story of where experimenting went really well. And I would, so I would to bring it back to your question. I would say that my younger self being willing to experiment and not take things as sacrosanct, I thank that younger Kenny for, yes. Lastly, then, as we wrap up, how can people find you? We've got Kenny Erike. Yes, uh, that's my company website, KE Consulting. It's K E N E E R I K E dot com. I have a Twitter that I don't use often, but occasionally I post things. I'll, I will definitely post the article I mentioned here about the Valentine's Day thing. So that's at K E N E E R I K E dot com. I have a YouTube page as well that I've just started using. I made it a while ago, but I never really put anything up on it. It's uh, KE Consulting. Uh, I can put the link there somewhere. And what else is there? Find you on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, LinkedIn. Put my name, K-E-N-E-E-R-I-K-E or KE Consulting. You can find me there. My my personal blog, justtaptheglass.com. So that's where... I'm there. Ironically, I'm not much of a social media person, but I figured there's some use in it. So put it there. Kenny. Can I yes. Okay. Thank yeah. Very good. much indeed for joining me. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's a great podcast. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework is to leave your five-star review and please, any comments you have, you really help me to improve every day. And it also helps people to discover me online. You should check out practical-leadership.academy because you want to help your new managers succeed with hybrid or remote working. (laughs) 